Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. Tonight we are, con- uh, we are continuing our series on the book of Revelation. Wednesday night, or excuse me, Sunday night, we talked about the church at Ephesus. We talked, we looked at that church and how that Jesus commended the church for a lot of good things. But he told the church at Ephesus, he says, I've got something against you because you left your first love. We talked about the need, we talked the need for first things, the importance of a fervent love towards God and towards people and how that we can have everything else right we can have all we can preach the right doctrine we can say the right things we can believe the right things but if it's not if it's not filled with love it doesn't matter it doesn't mean anything and because they were lacking love Jesus said unless you repent I'm going to come and I'm going to remove my presence from your midst and so there, so there was the danger, uh, there was the danger of that. And so tonight we are looking, tonight we're going to be looking at the church at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. And John is given the task, is asked by a, or commanded by a resurrected and a victorious Christ to write to these seven churches, to give a message to these seven churches, these specific churches. But we don't just simply believe that these were messages for for those churches at that particular time, but we believe that these are messages for the church that is universal. I believe more than any time ever, especially in my life and in my ministry, I believe God is wanting once again to speak to the church. He's he's got something that he is wanting to say to the church. And his his words that even that are echoed throughout Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I believe God is wanting to speak to the church. I believe that God is wanting to tell us in these last days some things. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. What has your faith cost you? What your faith in Jesus? Now I didn't ask you what your faith got you. I, I, I'm thankful that my faith in Jesus got me salvation. I'm thankful that my faith in Jesus is what sanctifies me. I'm I'm also thankful that my faith is what has sealed me unto the day of redemption. I'm thankful that that there are many that there are many blessings that are afforded to me because of my faith in Jesus Christ. But aside from that, here's the question: What has your faith cost you? Well, if if you could be, if if persecution was to come your way in ways that you had never imagined, what would it reveal about your faith? 
If you had to lay it all on the line for the for the cause of the Christ of, of the cross of Jesus Christ, would you be able to do it? Now we're going to get deep tonight. Would you be willing to lay whatever it is, even your very own life, on the line if it meant being in the presence of Jesus? What would your faith actually cost you? Because for the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11, for some of them their faith cost them everything. Their faith cost them friends. Their faith cost them influence. Their faith cost them money. And for some of them, ultimately, their faith cost them their life. You see, the church at Smyrna was undergoing severe suffering for their faith. Many of these people in this church would be put to death. Yet somebody is wanting to speak to them. There is a resurrected Christ that is wanting to speak to them because he's saying, I know you may have to lay some things down. I know that ultimately it may even cost you your very life. But the one who is speaking to you right now is he, is he who was dead but is now alive. You see, he speaks this to a church at Smyrna who was engrossed in idolatry. Among many, among one of the many pagan gods that were worshipped uh, was the god Dionysus, the god of wine and festivity, who the people in Smyrna believed that he actually died and rose again. And each year the death, burial, and resurrection of this God was acted out in a public play. But the Christians of Smyrna knew the difference between a myth and a truth. They knew the difference between a God who was not real and a God who, who was dead but three days later rose up triumph over death and of hell. They understood that Dionysus was a myth but Jesus Christ was a living reality. Oh, somebody help me here this, this evening. You see, they understood that everything that was going on was because of a show. But they had a living reality living on the inside of them. You see, Smyrna was located about 40 miles north of Ephesus. And it too was an influential coastal city known for its science, known for its medicine, known for its fine wine, known for its beautiful architecture and expensive fragrances. It was known... And Smyrna was known for their myrrh trees that were scattered out through the throughout the landscape. The city of Smyrna is actually known in ancient times as the crown city. 
I want you to think about that for a moment because later on Jesus is going to look at the Christians and the church of Smyrna and he's going to say to him that overcometh, I am going to give to them a crown of, of, of life. And everywhere that they look, there is, there is pagan idolatry. There are people who, who are, who, who are worshiping idols. There are people who, uh, who are believing in, uh, who are believing in false gods. It is Smyrna that if you study church history, that the, that the ancient martyr Polycarp is the one that's going to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. You see, compared to the church at Ephesus, this church was very poor. They were suffering. They were suffering because of both internal and external. Not only were they suffering from outside sources or outside influences, but they were actually suffering from the from their very own ranks. There were people who claimed that they were Jews and were uh, and, and were not. But here is the thing about Smyrna. There was a law that was going around in that time during that day that see they were the the the, the culture didn't care that they served Jesus Christ. The culture didn't care that they served Jehovah God. But what they wanted is that they wanted emperor worship. And the emperors of that day, the Roman emperors of that day required that at a certain time of the year, everybody had to stop by, had to stop by the, uh, the, the temple in their city and they had to burn a pinch of incense and to proclaim Caesar is Lord. That's all that they had to do. They would get, they would get a little certificate. Uh, proclaiming that they did their duty and then they could go back and they could worship however they want. If they wanted to worship another false god, they could worship another false god. If they wanted to go and they wanted to worship and they wanted to worship Jesus and have church and all of those different types of things, that was oh, that was okay because but at the end of the day, at some point they had to proclaim Caesar as Lord one time a year. But see, here was the problem that the Christians in Smyrna had. They understood that there was only one Lord. Ah. Their God was not Caesar. Their God wasn't Dionysus. Their God wasn't anything else. They served a resurrected Lord. They served a God who described himself as Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. He that was dead, but behold, he is alive forevermore. They would watch this man as he healed the blinded eye. They would watch this man as he unstopped death fears. They would watch this man as he raised the dead. They would watch him as he ascended into heaven. And angels standing by and say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens for the same Jesus that is taken away from you will so again come in like manner. It is the same Jesus that Paul the Apostle would write in Philippians chapter 2 and said God hath highly exalted him who Jesus and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things on the earth, and of things under the earth. And 
man at every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At that moment, the church of Smyrna already settled it in their hearts and said there's no God but Jehovah God. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one God. And he's eternal. And he's Jehovah Chire of my provider. He's Jehovah Nisi. He is not there. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord God that heals. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God that gives peace that passes all understanding. And I'm not going to bend. And I'm not going to bow to the pressure. Even though a lot of people say it's okay. You see, you see, all they had to do, all they had to do was just burn that incense and everything would be okay. But they refused to do it. And because they refused to bow to the pressures of society at that time, it would cost them Everything. I want you to think about that. Because they refused to compromise, because they refused to bend, because they refused to bow. It wasn't that they couldn't worship however they wanted to worship. We just we just want you to also accept what we do. Uh, we just want you, we we, we want everybody. To get to get along just to get along. I'm preaching tonight. We want everybody just to kind of flow with the current. Let's test the wind. Let's see which way the current is blowing. And that's the way that that's the way that we're gonna go. Don't try to buck against me, and I won't buck against you. You don't tell me what to do, you don't judge me, and I won't judge you. You won't tell me that you won't tell me that there's any absolutes, and I will tell you that there's any absolutes, and we can still go about my our our our, our, our merry way. Just don't don't let me don't don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Don't say that there's only one God. Don't say that there's only one way, one truth, one life. Am I preaching to anybody in this house tonight? Don't say that there's don't just don't say that there's an absolute way. Don't tell me that there's a straight and narrow way. Don't tell me that there's a way that leads to destruction and many that be that go in there at. Don't tell me that there's a narrow way that only few are able to find. Just let me live my life the way that I want to live my life. Sounds like America right now, doesn't it? Sounds sounds like what we're de- sounds like what we're dealing with right now. Wait, we're, we're, we're okay with we're, we're okay with uh, uh, with you uh, with you. We're okay with you going to church. We're okay with you giving a few dollars in the offering plate. But don't you tell me anything about my sin. Don't tell me that there's only one way to heaven. Because you know, Oprah says that there's many ways to get to heaven. Oh. You know, and he and she even puts people. Okay, okay, I, I'm getting the medal in here. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get in the world of trouble. And you know, and she puts people up there like Tyler Perry. Uh, you don't want me going that way. And other people who 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 have bowed 
I don't tell him there's absolutes. But Smyrna would say no. Smyrna would say no. I, I, no, there, there's there's only one God. There's not multiple ways to do this thing. There's not multiple. There's not multiple ways to live. And and and, and, and yes, I could compromise. Yes, I could bend my knee. Yes, I could. Yes, I could burn. I, yes, I could burn that incense. But no, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna. I, I'm not going to do it. I, I'm going to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way, and it costs them everything. He says, I know your works. Verse 9, he says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. He says, I know that you're helpless. But he's got a message to the church. He says, I know you're helpless, but you're not hopeless. Mm. I know you feel helpless, but there's a difference between feeling helpless and feeling hopeless. Oh, see, see, it, it was in these things. He said, he, he said, I know your, he said, I know your afflictions. He says, actually, the Greek word there is, I know that the pressure, I know what the pressure it is that you're feeling right now. I know, I, I know you, you feel like that you're in a squeeze right now. I know your afflictions. I know what it is that, that, you're, that you're going through. You've heard me preach and you've heard me teach this before. Who you really are will show up when the squeeze is put on. I know we like to talk about the blessings of God. And we preach that and we should preach that. I know we like to talk about all of that. I know we like to talk about the healings. I know we like to talk about the signs and wonders. But when when you find yourself in a place where you feel utterly helpless, when you start to really feel the squeeze of life put on, when you really start to feel the pressure, then what's in you begins to flow out of you. I mean, you know how, I mean, you know how to get, you know how to get wine from a crate. It's got to be crushed. Oh. It's got to, it's got to be, it's got to be squeezed. It's got to, if you you really want to go old school, and anytime I think about this, I think about, I think about old I love Lucy in, in, in Italy when she went to the when she went to the uh, when she went to the to the to the great orchard and, and farm and she get, she jumped up in the had to had to step on the had to had to step on the uh, uh, on all the grapes and stuff like that. Sometimes we gotta be stepped on. I know we don't like that, but here is the thing. They were experiencing this. He even told them, he said, he said, I know, he said, I know your poverty. I know your poverty. And that's not, now see, now we don't like, we don't like using that in the American church right now because we've been told and we've been sold a lie in the American church that as long as you have enough faith, you're always going to have money. 
And it's God's will for you to walk in divine prosperity and you're all, and there's going to be a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage and you're not going to have you're not going to have it. No, 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 no. Can I tell you what biblical prosperity is? I'm going to tell you real quick what biblical prosperity is. Biblical prosperity is not you having a million dollars in the bank. Biblical prosperity is that when God has called you to do something, then God will supply what you need for the assignment that God has placed you in your life. If you need two dollars, God will supply you two dollars. If God need, if you need a new pair of shoes to be carrying out the assignment, God will give you a new pair of shoes to carry out the assignment. But here's the thing: we 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 have we have mischaracterized this and said. You know, well, God doesn't want anybody to be poor. Tell that to the disciples. Tell that to the disciples. Better yet, tell that to Jesus. When Jesus said foxes have holes and birds have nests, and the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head down. And you tell me how that works. I didn't expect I'd get many amens on that. But see, he tells them, he says, he says, I know that you're poor. He says, I know that you think that you're poor. Now listen, the word that he uses here for poor is not the word that we normally use for poverty. See, we think, we think that we're poor because today we can't go to McDonald's and eat. But can I tell you, if you make more than $2 a day, you're making more than 75% of the rest of this world is doing. I want us just really to put prosperity in its proper place. If you own more than one pair of shoes, if you've got shoes in your closet that you don't wear, you've got something that 60% of the rest of the world do, does not have. When you decide to eat, if you have to decide what you're going to eat as opposed to if you're going to eat, you're doing something that over half of this world still cannot do on a daily basis. But though we come to church every day and say, God bless me. God bless me. God, I need a better paying job. I need, I, need a, I need a nicer car. I need a nicer house. And I need it yesterday. That's not the type of poverty that Jesus is talking about here to this church. What he's talking, what he's talking about here is he's talking about utter destitution. It describes a man who works night and day but still has to beg for his food. Because let me tell you what was happening to the church at Ephesus. Because they would not bow to the pressure of the culture that was around them. The Roman government at that time had the legal authority to go in, seize all their assets, seize all their money, close down their businesses, and tell them, no. Kind of sounds like what we went through just a couple of years ago, doesn't it? We forget that at times. Because now we can go sit in Cracker Barrel and now we can go... We can, go, we, can go, we can go back to the mall and we can do all those different, we can do all those different types of things. But and, and so and we think, well, that was just a sacrifice that we that we had here that we had to do. You know, we shouldn't have come to church because if we had come to church, we'd have got somebody sick. No. That was a strategy of the enemy. That was a strategy 
fazendo. When Canada was taking pastors to jail because they refused to bend under the political pressure of the day. And if you don't think it's going to come to America, we think, oh, we, we think, we think somehow, someway, and I, I, I got to stay close to the nose. We think somehow, some way, you know, you know, that the, you know, the, the America is the great savior to the world. No, it's not. There's only one savior, and if America does not turn back to the Lord, if America does not repent, repent of what? Repent of millions of unborn babies that have died. If we do not repent of our racial injustice. Oh, y'all didn't want y'all, y'all don't like that, but that's okay. If we don't, if we don't repent of our blatant compromise in the church, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. What happened here is that it cost these people everything. And he says, I know that, he says, I know that you, you, I know that you say that you're poor, but I know the truth. I know that you're actually very rich. I know they freeze your bank accounts. I know you can't find work because they branded you as one of those fanatics. But you're actually very rich. You're actually, because see, here's the thing. I may not have, we may not have very much money in the bank. But as long as I got Jesus, that doesn't mean that I'm poor. That means I've got everything that I need because at the end of the day, Smyrna understood I'm not living for this life. I'm not, li- I'm not living for what I can get into my bank account. I'm not living for the car, the type of car I can drive. I'm not living. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm living for something that is far greater, that the benefits are so much greater somewhere else than they can ever be on this earth. He said, I know. He, he says, I know how that they I know how they how they've slandered you know how they've talked bad about you they would slander their names and and reputations in the community we do it today through Facebook we do it when we switch churches we go from this church to the church down the street they go, well, I just don't go to that church down there anymore, you know, because that church down there is not ages. And we paint the other church for the bad. Come on, you know what I'm preaching. Then we get on Facebook and we start and we start slandering everything else. Start slandering, and it starts slandering everybody. He says, I know, he says, he says, I know the slander. King James says, I know the blaspheme of them. He says, I know what he says, I know what they have done. He says, I know how Satan is working against you. Now listen to this. If Jesus came and preached this to a lot of churches in America, 
We can move him out. Get on the phone, call the other pastors and tell him, don't book that evangelist to come preach for you because that's 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 too bad. That, that, that's that's for you, you know, that's not positive enough, that's not uplifting enough. Jesus looks at this church, Sister Amber, and this is what he says. Jesus looks at this church and he says, Listen, um, the devil is actually the enemy is actually going, you're going to be tried. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to suffer. And you're going to be cast into prison. We'd bypass that resume. We'd shred that and say, let us, let us get a more positive preacher. Jesus didn't know how to... Didn't have very good bedside manner. He just looked at the church at Smyrna and said, "This is what's going to happen." I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to some good stuff here, but we but we've got to we've got to address the issue. Jesus didn't tell them rebuke it away. Jesus didn't tell them don't receive that. Jesus didn't tell them, "Hey, just." Just speak positive words. Don't speak that. I, I, I'm all for. I, I'm all for it. Glad for it. And whatever. But Jesus didn't say. It. Here's what he told. Are you ready? Don't fear. Don't fear what they're going to do to you. Don't fear. Don't fear that. They're going to take your stuff. Don't fear that they're going to slander you. Don't fear that they're going to throw you into prison. Don't fear that they're going to persecute you. Don't fear whatever that they are going to do to you. And all throughout the Word of God, can I just preach it for a minute? All throughout the Word of God, that is the command to the church. That is the command to the people of God. Don't fear. Don't fear. You may, you may have to walk through it, but don't fear. When you pass through the waters, don't fear. When you have to go through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't fear. When you have to get thrown into the lion's den, don't fear. When you have to stand against the giant, don't fear. When you've been in, when you've been in Egypt for 400 years, don't, don't, don't fear. When, when all hell is coming against you, don't fear. When the storms are raising up and they're blowing against your life and they're blowing against your family and they're blowing against your ministry, don't fear. Listen, it's going to come. Jesus didn't say that they would not come. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But I'm glad that he didn't stop right there. But I'm glad that he was able to stand back and say, but be a good chair. Well, you mean I can be happy? I can be happy when I'm sitting in a hospital bed? Oh, yes, you can. You can be happy when you don't have any money in the bank? Oh, yes, you can. You can be You can be happy when the world is coming against you and is persecuting you and is trying to shut you down and shut you up? Oh, yes, I can. I can be happy and I can be joy. Why? He said, be a good chair. He said, you're going to have to face it. You may have to go through it, but be a good chair. I have overcome the world. I have overcome. And because I overcame, you can be overcomers as well. Because I overcome.
the enemy. You can be victorious, so do not be afraid of anything. Oh, he said, I know you're suffering. He said, so he's telling them, whatever the affliction, whatever the pressure that they're going through, even if it gets worse, listen, even if it costs you your life, this is what he's telling them, be faithful. Be faithful. That's where two, two commandments he gives to this church. It's one of only two churches out of chapters 2 and chapters 3 that he doesn't have one negative thing to say about them. As a matter of fact, when we get to the church of Laodicea, the church of Laodicea was very, very rich. But Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you've got everything. You've got plenty of money to make. You've got all the prosperity in the world. But you ain't like Smyrna. As a matter of fact, if God had a favorite church between the two, he would probably, I believe he'd pick Smyrna. Because they understood their need for God. They understood, they understood their need for God. Can I tell you, my goodness, and I'm trying to hurry here. Can I tell you what I believe, and this is just my opinion, you can put an asterisk back. Can I tell you what I believe has been one of the greatest hindrances to the American church in the last 60 years? Prosperity. We accumulated it all. And now we finally look at God and say, God, I don't need anything anymore. That's the reason why I always get concerned. I believe even people that know me can testify to this. I've seen people's lives who are falling apart, who are in shambles and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and have, a, have a, a sincere experience with the Lord. And because God's a gracious God and God's a good God, blessings start flowing in. God gives them jobs. God gives them work. God gives them abundance when we praise God for it. But what is it worth if it keeps you out of church? What is, what is it worth if your family dies and goes to hell? What is it worth if you can take all the vacations and still split hell wide open? In my opinion, it's not worth it. It, 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 it's, it's not worth it. He says, you just be faithful to me regardless of what it costs you. And the question, he answers the question, how long should we be faithful until you die? Even if it means you got to lay your life down. Can I tell you this? I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Don't get mad at me. Don't, don't. It, it, it. See, we don't. The rest of the countries in the world don't disciple like we disciple. And that's a good thing. 
One of the greatest revivals that is happening in the world right now is happening in the Middle East. Muslims are being saved by the multitudes in the Middle East. The average church in America doesn't even win or average one person to Christ in a year. But in the Middle East, every day, hundreds are coming to know the Lord. And when they, dis- when they start their discipleship classes, can I tell you what the difference is between us and them? Here's what, here's, here's what we teach them. We teach them. Now grab a hold of every promise of God. God wants you blessed. God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you all of that. That's what we teach them. In the Middle East, what they teach them one of the very first things that they teach them is this. One of these days, somebody is going to put a gun to your head and ask you to renounce Christ. When they do that, close your eyes and speak the name of Jesus and you'll be with Him. How many of us are ready to sign up for that class? We ain't ready for that. We think we think pers- we think persecution is, and I'm thankful for air conditioner because I, I I I despise this heat right now. But we think persecution is when the air conditioner goes out. We think persecution is is when the pastor didn't let us sing our song. We think persecution is is when somebody looked at us sideways or cut us off in traffic or we got a flat tire. No. We can't pay our we can't pay our electric bill and it keeps us out of church for six months. Because we just say to ourselves, Well, if God really loved me, where was God in all this? He let my electric bill turn on. No, maybe we just need to learn how to budget better. He says, You'd be faithful. Through it all. And then what did he say? He says, I will give you a crown of life. Now think about that. It is not a diadem crown. It is the victor's crown. I'm skipping over a lot of stuff because I, I hit a lot of different trails here that I didn't want to I didn't want to hit on tonight, but He promised us a victor's crown. A crown of victory. Only way I can explain it, I don't know, it's just me. When I was a kid, I wanted wanted to be arrested. That's what I wanted to be. But I didn't have the genetics for it. I I I wish I could have been one. I really do. Before you judge me too harshly, I mean, there's just something. There's just something about watching those matches. It is something to see wanting your guy to win 
And all of a sudden they get that, they make that pin and the ref goes one, two, three. And you've got 20,000 people screaming to the top of their lungs and they hold up that bell that they have won. See, we've got a greater championship that awaits us. And the crown that awaits us is simply to those who are faithful. He's going to tell them, if you will just be faithful, if you will just be faithful, I'll give you Sister Shill, I'm thankful for every blessing that I've received in this life. I don't want any I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I don't want anybody to mischaracterize anything that I'm saying. I'm going to be very, very honest and I'm going to be very, very just candid with you. We, we used to say, I would hear the old saints that would get up and, and, and testify of this and I, and I truly believe it, what they said. And I believe that this is the mentality that we ought to have as the church today. I'd hear, when I was a kid, I'd hear a dear old brother or dear old sister get up to testify and they would say, if the Lord never does another thing for me, I'm going to serve Him and be faithful to Him simply because He saved I want to be I want to be that faithful. You see, I don't know what's going to happen. I I know if I understand scripture, scripture tells me things are going to get worse in this culture. They say, well, how do you reconcile that with revival? Because, you know, you've got all these people that are prophesying revival. Revival always, great, the greatest revivals always happen during the times of the most extreme persecution. Read your church history. When Constantine made Christianity the state religion, and persecution stopped, the church went into the dark ages. It lost its power. It lost its influence. They lost their ability to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in the good. I want to be faithful in the bad. I want to be faithful in every area of my life. Why? 
because there's a crowd waiting for me. Stand with me. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless, and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.